Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode of the Bear Stalk Underground is brought to you by PointsBet. Guys, it's finally here. Sports Drink and PointsBet have partnered up to bring you the world's greatest BTU-themed threads for the Bear season. Just imagine the blue and orange confetti cascading down from the rafters of State Farm Stadium while you're donning the greatest t-shirt known to man, a Bears Talk Underground t-shirt. And it's very simple. You got to go to sportsdrink.org slash shirts, fill out the quick Google form, register for your points bet account, and deposit at least $10. That's all it's going to cost you. You want to get your hands on this t-shirt, and then finally you upload your proof of deposit uh, as well. Once you submit... Our beautiful friends will have your shirt out the door and on the way to you. And once again, that is sportsdrink.org slash shirts. Once again, sportsdrink.org slash shirts. Guys, I'm in my 16th season doing this show. It's the first time I've had a shirt available for my podcast. I'm so proud to finally have one, and I want you to have it. So follow the steps and get yourself your very own Bearstock Underground t-shirt today. And thank you to PointsBet for partnering up with Sports Drink. And thanks to PointsBet for sponsoring the podcast. (laughs) What's up, guys? Back with a special episode with uh, our good friend from Locked on Bears, Lauren Cox, uh, back to join us. Um, uh, As I mentioned before uh, on the last episode, where where we've kind of divided the season up into thirds uh, because there is really no no way to evenly divide up uh, 17. So... Uh, we're doing six, six, and five. So now that we've got six games in the can, Lauren is back to help us uh, review uh, the first six games of this um, 2022 campaign. I mean, it's we're off to a rocky start. Uh, we should be 500 uh, right now. Uh, the, you know, Thursday night was tragic, and it's going to leave a sour taste in everyone's mouth. Uh, until the Bears can get back out on the field, but the next the next team up is the Patriots, and I'm after watching them decimate the Browns today. I'm not looking forward to uh, what that might look like, because uh, you know, thinking that with Mac Jones being out, that the Bears might have an advantage, because we'd have some you know Brian Hoyer or, or God forbid Bailey Zappi, a fourth round draft pick, uh, leading the charge, and then he threw for 302 and two touchdowns against the Browns today, so. Yeah, it could be ugly on Monday night, that is for sure. But uh, let's uh, first, we'll reminisce about the first six games, and before we look ahead to the next six, uh, Lauren and I uh, talk quite a bit, as we usually do when we get together. Uh, We jump around a bit from here and there, but we break down all six games, what we liked, what we didn't, what was promising, what's frustrating, uh, and everything uh, in between. So, uh this is a very special episode. This is the uh, first regular season review episode, weeks one through six of the Bearstalk Underground. So let's go ahead and get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. Ringing out loud. 
So here we are with the 17-game schedule. There's no easy way to divide the season up, but uh, Lauren and I have decided that we'll split it into thirds. So we'll do the first six weeks, then the next six weeks, and then the last five weeks to kind of do these mid-season review type things. And uh, Lauren, welcome back, man. Uh, six weeks in, and uh, oh boy, I, I, I need a do-over on this. This has been a disaster. <laughs> Well, I mean, like we knew that the, this, this this season was going to have some bumps, but it's been more of a roller coaster than I thought it would be. That, like, you know, in pretty much every single game, right, there was a moment late in the fourth quarter where the team was right in it. I mean, even against Green Bay, I know we'll get into them individually, but like, yeah, yeah, you know, they've been there, and like every like every game, they've gotten your hopes up, and obviously they've they've demolished them four times. But like that, it's in some ways like it's almost like. They've exceeded the expectations in how close they've been in a couple of those games, right. but it doesn't make it any less annoying and difficult when it's for those losses that are all like, God, like this is not this is not good football that we're watching. Well, to put this thing in, I think in the best context, Lauren was was the was the progress that we saw the offense make in the preseason, and then for it to have virtually disappeared in the two weeks between the win over Cleveland and the first game against San Francisco. And I was like, I did not expect the Bears to come out guns blazing and, you know, especially against the 49er defense uh, week one or anything. But I didn't expect for it to look like we were starting over again when the regular season started. It seemed like all the progress that we made in the preseason, you know, um, finishing off with the three touchdown performance by Fields in, in the Cleveland game. It's almost like it never happened by the time we got to week one against San Francisco. Yeah, and I think we were all like after that San Francisco game, kind of willing to be like, well, you know, it was super, super rainy and super, super wet, and that's just that's just, that game's just going to be an anomaly, right? Like yeah. the rest of the season, things will be much, much more normal on offense. And the more games it's been since then, the more you know you can blame the rain some, but that's still largely how the offense has looked. Like it hasn't been that you know much of an outlier in terms of the performance. That's kind of just what they are. And and you're right. I mean, yes, it's easy to look better in in preseason but you would just think that the more time that they play together the better it would get and that you know if they're already that far in the preseason that they should they're gonna have bumps along the way but they'll settle in and be uh you know firing on more of you know all cylinders and it just hasn't like there was moments against minnesota and there was moments against the giants i mean there's there have been those times but it just has not come together in a way that's frustrating yeah i mean and and and, and i think more specifically the progress we saw from Justin Fields in those first three preseason games. It's like, you know, he still looked like uh, the Matt Nagy Justin Fields in that first game against Kansas City with, a with, you know, where he, he's hanging on to the ball too long. He's But he's also had these flashes of brilliance and, and things like that. Then you move forward to the Seattle game. We, we got some boots involved where they had that really nice completion to Cole Komet for the big first down, a nice throw to Mooney. We move the ball all the way down. We kick a field goal uh, in the one drive that Justin Fields came in. And then in, in the Cleveland game, it seemed like it all came together. Uh, he's making the right reads, made, make, made really nice throws. He's, he's got the timing and, and, and moving the ball down the field, three touchdown drives, one drive more impressive than the one before it, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, he's ready. Let's get the regular season started. And then we get to this, we get to back to the regular season and it was like, everything was erased. He's hanging on to the ball again too long. He's either 
His receivers either aren't open, that's why he's hanging on to the ball, or he's not trusting what he's seeing downfield. I mean, there's a million theories as to what actually is going on back there when he's hanging on to the football, none of which that we can you know, really evaluate until we can pull up the all 22 and be like, oh, no one was open on this one or oh he he had a guy open but he threw it to the wrong place or he made the wrong read or you know all that kind of stuff it's just been like we're back to the drawing board with with fields even after all the progress he made in the preseason and yet they still won that game against san francisco somehow right like yeah in some part because you know his legs were able to get a few things going there but of course we saw just the running game with herbert and montgomery continue to kind of be the strength of this offense and and the bears defense stepped up and played pretty well against trey lance i mean there were certainly moments where you know they they were struggling i mean they got down 10-0 in that second half pretty quickly there but you know they, they, they were coming together and and found ways to win a game like that against a team that has looked better at times. I mean, San Francisco's kind of had a, a weird start to the season, too, yeah. and sometimes look good, and sometimes they'll get their butts kicked by the Falcons in the first half. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 just it, they're a weird team, too, so it's hard to come away with that with saying, like, you know, was that a was that a quality win? Was that a was that a good win that you played bad and still won? I mean, yeah. it, it counts the same as all the others, so, like, there, there's no complaints there, but you, you're right that, I mean, ugly offense and, and some difficult moments defensively, but just kind of enough pulled together to win the game, and that's... That's, that's kind of been the formula so far. Well, I mean, there in there was a tale of two halves for Justin Fields in that game. In the first half, it was, what the hell happened? He looked ready after the end of the preseason. And then in the second half, he was, I think he was like 5 of 7 for 112 yards, two touchdowns. It's like, yeah, that was the guy that we saw in the preseason. You know, finding the, you know, being being cool under pressure, finding Dante Pettis for that crazy touchdown uh, for the first score. That great throw he makes to Equinemia St. Brown for the second touchdown that we, you know, we took the lead with or, or whatever. It's like this is this is what I'm talking about here. This is what we were looking for when when it came to Justin Fields. Okay, we just needed to make some halftime adjustments and all that kind of stuff. Fine. And then fast forward to the Green Bay game, and it's like, okay, here we are starting all over again. It's like after the first drive, where it was like picking up where we left off from San Francisco, we didn't see that off again, offense again until we're already down 24-7. to <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so weird how this team is, has not been able to just do anything in the first half, like outside of those opening drives. Like it's, it's just like completely drops off, and it's, it's weird and it's frustrating, and it, it doesn't seem to be like a, a super – rhyme more reason to it i mean at least against green bay it was another big game from david montgomery and you felt like you, know, you have some kind of rock that you can rely on offensively that even when you know the passing game is not coming together whatever it might be you can always seemingly hand off the ball and get some yards right it wasn't enough to win games in in that kind of contest especially when you know they're running for 200 yards on the other side of the field but like at least you had something you could rely on that it wasn't as constipated as we've seen I mean, it's very constipated offense, but like at least you had something going for you offensively that you could hang your hat on. Right. And then, of course, the moment uh, of the game and it's 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 going to go down as one of those what if uh, moments, you know, what if what if we actually pull this off? How does the game go uh, from there? But instead, (laughs) I mean, I from the moment, even before we snapped the ball, Lauren, I had a huge problem. Why are we in the shotgun? It's fourth and goal. From the one, why are we in the shotgun? Is like, and I actually I thought we'd made progress simply because, unlike when Nagy was out there, David Montgomery's on the field. Like, holy shit, here we go. We're actually <laughs> getting this right, but we're in the shotgun. 
Why are we in the shotgun? And then what, what really confused me is with a guy as athletic as Justin Fields, he gets the ball in the shotgun and runs towards the line of scrimmage. Okay, fine. But he doesn't try to jump over the top. He just tries to literally lower his head and push his way through. And whether you believe the replay or, you know, or whatever you, you want to do, it's, it's, it's neither here nor there. They said he didn't make it. Unfortunately, replay couldn't prove definitively otherwise, and it looks like he got stuffed. And I'm wondering why our six foot three quarterback didn't just reach over the top of the pile on fourth and goal from the six inch line. Yeah, that's one of those play calls, right? Where like, if it works, no one's going to be that mad about it. But right. of course, because it doesn't work, you you poke all the holes in it. Because then you come back. I don't. Know, we don't need. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But you know, like. Last week when they had fourth and goal in the one, and they, they ended up to Herbert, not Montgomery, but it was it was under center. It was a turn. It was a handoff. It was the running back. Like That's kind of what people were in. It wasn't Montgomery, but otherwise that's kind of what people were asking for in the Packers game, and it still didn't work, and it turns out that sometimes like there the was, blocking is a little bit more important than what the specific run play well, call in, in is. In my and opinion, just, and just let's just jump around. I don't care. Yeah. Um, the missing piece on that one was blasting game. Yeah. The fullback should have been in there. You know, but it's be, like because you have to have your fullback in, and it has to be a certain like if if your offense can only get one yard if it's specifically has a fullback, and you know what I mean. It's like it seems like there has to be this criteria of has to be Montgomery and it has to have a fullback. I think it means you have a the bigger problem is that you need a specific set of circumstances to be able to get one <laughs> yard. You should have ten ways to get one yard. I agree wholeheartedly. Okay, but like again, like you said, if it works, nobody says anything. But it didn't work, so we're gonna sit here and scrutinize and poke holes in it and number one being that it wasn't Montgomery because he's the one that gets those dirty yards he's the one that has the tendency to fall forward and even even when his progress has been stopped he'll twist and turn and turn that that uh, you know stalemate into a one or two yard gain by simply you know twisting out of it and he's in the end zone and then if we're going to keep Herbert in there why not a a fullback to help clear the way because when they showed the replay on Amazon what it showed me was the offensive line absolutely caves down that defensive line. So now it's a one-on-one between Herbert and the linebacker, and the mm-hmm. linebacker won. That's, that's what happened. That's what I saw when they showed the replay, yeah. was Herbert had a one-on-one opportunity. All he had to do was be better than the linebacker, and he wasn't. So we get turned away with nothing for the second red zone trip uh, in a row in that, in that game. And in, in both cases, the thing I kept coming back to is just – Put fields under center and run a QB sneak for one yard. Yes, you know they they did that earlier in the in the Commanders game. There, there was a fourth down where they did the QB sneak, and it wasn't like pretty, but already QB sneaks pretty, I guess. But right. you know, like that that seems to be the easiest, like shortest distance between two points. It, it just snap to the quarterback. Don't make him turn around and walk the ball backwards to give it to somebody else. Don't make him be in the shotgun. Just put it under center and power through but like to, to the point about sometimes it's just it's not always the play call it's just the players like against washington also the the two-point conversion play they ran a little screen where pettis was coming in and they tried to throw it quick to him and ball was a little late and like the bears had run that play before under matt Nagy, and the first time i saw it was the new england patriots ran it against the bears in 2018 to julian edelman and it worked beautifully i mean it, it was quick the bears weren't ready for it he caught the ball had a block into the end zone for a touchdown and like the, so the play works if you have good players that can execute it and i think the same thing about you know the handoff to, to, to khalil herbert and the and even the quarterback power play that that we're talking about in the packers game to bring it back to that like if 
Cole Komet doesn't get blown up on the line of scrimmage there. Justin Fields has a lead blocker in Montgomery and a guard pulling from the backside, and, and they had more blockers than defenders on that side of the field, and it was just Komet getting blown up that brought the defense right to Fields and stopped him from getting that yard and not breaking the plane. So it's like if you just had good players, yeah. these plays would work. Yeah, watching that, uh, watching the football after show uh, last year, as a matter of fact, I haven't watched it much at all this year now that uh, Kruitz isn't on it anymore, but um, the, the common theme that, that, that Olin and uh, Lance Briggs and Alex Brown would always talk about would be players, not plays. So just along the lines of what you're saying, if, if we had better personnel on the field, there'd be better odds that this stuff would actually work instead of you know us looking like fish out of water trying to run uh, these particular uh, plays when we don't have the guys that have the skill set for it. And to kind of bring it back around, like if 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 they score on, on in Green Bay on fourth and one, it's it's eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Would have made it, I think, a seven point game at the time because yeah. Green Bay ended up getting a field goal after that, so it would have been seventeen twenty four after they scored that drive. And and you know, so maybe they still give up the field goal to Green Bay, but all of a sudden you know, you're right in that game to the very end against a Packers team that has also gone on to struggle this week. But right, it felt like that was going to be like a measuring stick kind of game. And clearly mm-hmm. when you see it, the 17 point deficit or whatever the final score was, it doesn't feel nearly as close as it does when it's, when it's fourth and goal on the one away from being a one possession game late in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And the bears have a lot of those moments uh, against the Packers. If you remember a couple years ago on, on Sunday night, uh, the bears are driving down the field. I think it was in 2020 when Mitch came back after the bye week Mitch is the starting quarterback we get the ball all the way down, like after that big Montgomery run to start off the the drive. We're inside the five yard line on third and goal. Mitch puts it up for Allen Robinson. Robinson should have caught it, and he didn't. And we had to settle for a field goal. And I think it was after Green Bay took the opening drive for a touchdown or something like that. So we would have tied him up, or we would have had the lead, one of the two. And who knows what that would have done emotionally to be able to start the game off that way because Robinson didn't catch the goddamn ball. So we'll never know. <laughs> yeah. Would we have been able to carry the momentum from finally, you know, putting together a decent drive, literally pounding it down Green Bay's throat to get it into that goal-to-go uh, situation? Montgomery, Herbert, it didn't matter. We were overhauling those guys running the football straight down their throats, and they stuff us at the goal line and turn us away with nothing who knows what that would have done momentum-wise, you know, emotional-wise, whatever, if we score. We'll never know because they didn't pull it off. And we've had too many of those moments this year, uh, even in our short six-game season thus far. Yeah, that, that's been like the the running like tagline slogan of the Chicago Bears for most of my lifetime. Like, who would have known? Who who knows what would happen if we would have just done? Blank, you know, if we would, we could have, we just would have made this play here, or had this player do that, or that player catches that ball. I mean, it's, but it, but it's been a franchise that so consistently is always on the wrong side of like what could go wrong does go wrong, and they don't. The lucky breaks tend to be few and far between, and when they happen, they're not, they're not usually consequential. Like you'll get the you'll get the Dante Pettis touchdown against the Forty ers and you'll win that week one game, but like big whoop, like and we're two instead of two and four, and and still trying to pick up all the pieces. Yeah, my favorite um, modern era or recent era what if of all time is um, <laughs> in the in the 2010 NFC Championship game. What if Rodgers doesn't tackle Erlacher? 
Yeah. And Erlacher takes it all the way back for a touchdown. Because I looked it up. I don't know why somebody brought it up. I, maybe it was Roger's birthday or something like that or whatever it was. But it was, it was on Twitter and it was some kind of anniversary to commemorate this moment or, or whatever. And um, it was like, and actually the person that was posting it was like more of an Erlacher highlight. I was like, this is not a highlight. He got ran down by, by Rogers. And <laughs> I went and looked and did the research. Thank you, pro football uh, reference or whatever, yeah. uh, .com that um, showed the play-by-play. We didn't do anything with that drive. We did nothing. Nope. No field goal, no nothing. We just we got nothing because Rodgers tackled Erlacher and he didn't score a touchdown. We got nothing. So if he runs it back, who knows how the game turns out. That's my favorite what-if of the modern era is if Erlacher doesn't let Rodgers tackle him, he scores a touchdown because the offense didn't. Do we play the Steelers in the Super Bowl that year? Who knows? But that's that's a painful one because, you know, Rodgers was just grasping, kind of like that Roethlisberger tackle in 05 yeah. on that. On that. It was like if he doesn't make that tackle, you know, uh, the Colts go to the AFC Championship game and who knows how the rest of that season goes and and Roethlisberger was just flailing for dear life and happened to (laughs) happen to hook a foot and got the guy down and that's what Rodgers did this wasn't some beautiful form tackle where he had the angle on Erlacher now Erlacher had him all twisted up he reaches out trips him up it's like god come on you let him do that to you and yet when a Bears quarterback goes after the tackle on an interception it's Jay Cutler he he breaks a thumb and the season is over yeah, when you're having the best season he's ever had in Chicago. Yep. <laughs> oh, boy. So, yeah. So then Houston. We're home against the Texans. I'm I'm saying all week long, is like, guys, this could be the last time we're favored to win a game for the rest of the year. Uh, if, if, if the games keep – I mean, wait, let's backtrack a little bit, actually. How disappointing was that game against Green Bay? Not that we lost – but we lost pretty much in the, it what felt like the same way we always do. As opposed to after the San Francisco game, I was really excited about this Green Bay game. Not so much because I thought they, we would win because I still picked the Packers to win. I just thought it would be a tone setter as far as like, this is not going to be the same old rivalry where you guys just walk all over us and we sit there and take it. And that's exactly how the game went. So not only was it demoralizing in the fact that we lost, but demoralizing in the fact that it looked the same as it always has. Yeah, it's it's you know, when you give up 21 points in a quarter like that, I mean, it was barely. It was the very beginning of the second quarter. I remember, like, they were driving the first quarter. probably should have been a first-quarter touchdown. But, like, when you just make it that easy, that quickly, it, it, it feels like that, yeah, same old, same old, like Aaron Rodgers can kind of walk all over and do what he did. And, you know, to their credit, the only points they gave up in that second half was that that last field goal to put the Packers ahead a little bit more. So, like, it felt like in that second half you were get, you were you were changing the tides a little bit there, but that was already after sort of like, yeah, same old, same old. Like they drove down on that opening drive and went like, was it 12, 15 plays, something like that. It felt like they just marched on down the field slowly and – Got the field goal there, and it was like, well, this is this is where it's going to go. A touchdown after that, and they just kind of kept scoring and kind of back to where we were. And Pat O'Donnell had that, like, insane punt, flip the field. It's like, of course, like the former Bears punter is going to have a 60-, 70-yard punt, whatever <laughs> it was there, too. Like, it's just all going that way. Yeah. So fast forward to Houston. 
Uh, we're at home. The, the, the winless Texans are struggling. They're 0-1-1 coming into uh, the game. Now, I did not expect the Bears to blow Houston away. I did not expect for us to have to wait until the very last second, literally, to win the game. I thought that eventually we would outlast them and and put them away and you know maybe coast to a 7-10 to 10 point win uh, over the Texans because I felt we were the better team all the way. And yet, the, it, it was what I call, and, and you've heard me use this phrase before, a yeah, but victory against the Texans to get that win. Yeah, kind of like the reverse of a, of a moral victory where it's yeah. like you won, but uh, not not so much. And but it, and like it's weird because that game had like a lot of what you're looking for, right? I mean, huge runs by Khalil Harbert. He had a, a I think Eddie Jackson had a pick in that game. Roquan Smith might have had one too. Like yep. they 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 seem to be doing some decent things, like a couple of forced fumbles, maybe. Like the the defense seemed to be where it needed to be. Running game was rolling, and obviously like. Bears still couldn't pass the ball to save their life, but they're playing against a Texans team that doesn't have good receivers either and yeah. has a, a a young quarterback that nationally people don't believe in all that much, similar to the way that you know the people talk about Justin Fields outside of Chicago. So like you'd think if your defense is is more or less kind of doing its job there and making the turnovers that it was all sort of primed for the Bears to be in more control of the game. And to like to be fair, they you know, they were the more productive offense in that game, and they they got things going, but it just was so much more difficult than it needed to be, and that, that's been a lot of this season too. Yeah, that, and, and that's where the frustration uh, lies. The two interceptions that Fields threw were Fields' fault. He made bad throws uh, to Komet and to Mooney and just kind of hung them up uh, for them to be uh, taken uh, and everything, killing drives and giving – Giving this team that we you know in the in one of the rare instances this is going to happen that we're superior then keep giving this team more hope and more opportunities to to you know to tie or catch up or in some cases take the lead and and start beating us. So and you it, can't let that happen against no. I mean any team, but especially a team an zero and two and one or zero and one and one whatever they were at the time Houston Texans team that I mean just has no business being. <laughs> winning football like you know what I mean? like if you're like i said this entering the commanders game too and i know we'll get to that but like when you're playing these teams as the bears this season you at least have to show the rest of the nfl that like you're a step above yeah the re- truly terrible teams right make the texans look like a bad team compared to you make the commanders look like a bad team like those teams are bottom of the nfl picking top five terrible teams that are trending in the wrong direction yeah and in both those games the Bears needed to come in and be like, okay, you're not that you're going to blow them out 35 nothing, but you got to like dominate, right? You have to look like we're the clearly better football team heading in the clearly better direction. And even though you know they beat the Texans and lost the Commanders, like in neither game did you really feel that that separation of of the states of the franchise. And I think that's what made it more frustrating and, and, and most frustrating in both cases is that in both of those games, I felt we were the better team going in and yet in, in one game it, it took us until the very last second a uh, a last minute miracle interception by Roquan to put us in field goal range to win that football game and then this past Thursday we it, it, it I you'll never convince me in this lifetime that the Reds the Redskins the commanders won that game because the Bears lost it the commanders did not win it the Bears lost it they just get credit for the win 
the Bears lost that game. Washington did nothing uh, to win it. And we'll dig more deep because, trust me, I want to spend some time on that one. But, <laughs> you know, that's that was my stance in my knee-jerk reaction literally seconds after the game ended. That was my reaction when I recorded the review episode. That's my reaction now. Washington didn't beat us. Look at the stats and everything. Everything says the Bears dominated that game, and yet we walked away uh, with the loss uh, on that one. So we'll dig a little deeper into that one here uh, in a minute. We're almost there. But, you know, the, the Texans game was disappointing. It was uplifting in a way that, again, Khalil Herbert really stepped up. When, when Montgomery went down uh, with, the, with the leg injury, here we are thinking we're going to miss. I, I thought he was done with the way his leg got folded up and everything. Yeah. It's a knee and an ankle. Like, oh, geez. One of those is going to be season-ending. I just know it. And Herbert ran, run like a beast uh, in that one. Like it, was, like it was his ball to carry the whole time uh, and everything. And the defense played well at times. It gave a little too much to... Uh, Davis Mill, there was that one like third and 15 where they get a 50-something yard uh, reception and stuff like that. It's like, come on, guys. Really? We're going to let this happen? Is this going to happen today? And then finally we get that you know interception at the end to kick the field goal and win, but it left a sour taste in your mouth. Like this was way harder than it should have been, and we should have put these guys away a long time ago, and yet here we are just barely eking it out. Uh, against it and sadly that was the last one that we can claim as a victory I thought we had a win ahead of us against the Giants but man did we get out coached in that one I mean how long did it take us to figure out that uh Daniel Jones still has the ball because we're there (laughs) we fell for the bootleg like it was the first time we'd ever seen one ever in that game it was unreal You'd think like having practiced against it with fields so much that it would have been more natural to just like anticipate that. And even like, okay, they pulled off on you once and it's like, ah, crap. Like, but then you, you figure after the first time you're, you're, you're not surprised when they do it again. And maybe even the second time, you know, fool me twice, shame on me or whatever. But like, it was like four five, six times across multiple drives through the first half that they just didn't have an answer for it. And it just felt like what are what are we doing here? Yeah, like, nobody is, nobody was. Is staying, anyone watching? Yeah, nobody was staying home. It was like I understand that with the lack of you know playmakers in the passing game for them that it's Saquon or nothing. But seriously, nobody we, stayed home on any of those play fakes. And Daniel Jones is running untouched twenty something yards down the sideline for two touchdowns, not just one, but two. Uh, in this in this game, and it was it was mind-numbingly frustrating to watch. It's like watch the but geez, there he goes again. What are we doing? You know, over and over and over again. And then in the second half, we really shut it down uh, for the most part. And it's like it it how why did it take us that long to get here? It's not like we were constantly turning the ball over. You guys didn't have a minute to talk between drives. Why did it take an entire half and then halftime to figure out how to stop this? It's the same thing against Minnesota with with Justin Jefferson too, right? I mean, it's it's like in in both cases, it's not like the Giants or the Vikings came out and unveiled something brand new that the Bears couldn't have been prepared for. Like, of course, 
we all we always knew that Daniel Jones was a mobile quarterback. We knew that they would want to move him out of the pocket, maybe not to the frequency. Maybe maybe they turned it up a little bit that the Bears would have had to adjust to. But it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, where's this Giants offense coming from? We had no idea they would do this. And same thing with the Vikings. Like, oh, my gosh, who's this Justin Jefferson fellow? Should we be stopping him? Like, where is he coming from? What is, you know, like it just why does it take a half and a half time to figure things out? Like to their credit. They do a really good job of figuring it out in the second half. Yeah. And they've been such a good second half defensive team. So, like, why can't they enter the game with a better sense of what the other team is going to do to them and, like, per, like be proactive instead of reactive? Yeah, because it's, it's really hurt us, especially in those two ball games. We just n- never were able to recover and, and catch up uh, in those games. And, and, and what was... What's frustrating is is that aside from the Packer game, every single game we've won and or lost has been a one score game. Could have gone either way. And, well, I'm actually the, the the Niners was nine points, so two scores in that one. But still, you know, it, it's it, it was a, a game where it's it's come down to the wire one way or the other, and we're, we've come up short more times uh, than not uh, so far uh, this year. So. <sighs> So the end of that game, the Giants game, the Valus Jones, we, 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 we wait all year to see this guy. And granted, it was only week four, but still. We're, 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 we're waiting to see him, this special teams player of the year from the SEC, and his first game in, he, he, he does that like trying to catch on the run type thing. Ball gets away from him. We're down eight points, so we conceivably, even though we hadn't done it all day, conceivably we can drive this thing down and tie it with, you know, what, four minutes, three minutes to go. Well, there wasn't much time left, but it didn't matter because he fumbled the football, the Giants recover, and it was ball game after that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, like, the Bears, I mean, the Giants drove down from there and missed a field goal, so the Bears did get the ball back with 20 seconds left. Of course, like, they had no shot of, like, actually scoring because they had that, that – hook and ladder play and just right. threw the ball over that took three minutes to fumble it and lose yards. But anyway, uh, like, it, yeah, it's easy to blame Bayless Jones. Like, of course, terrible. Uh, you can't have that. He definitely cost them the chance to dr- drive back and win the game. Mm-hmm. But, like, they have, first of all, they have Tyrod. So, you know, Daniel Jones gets hurt, and Tyrod Taylor comes in and can do nothing, and they still let the Tyrod Taylor offense drive down and get a field goal to make it a, an eight-point lead instead of a five-point lead right. towards the end there. And then even after Tyrod Taylor gets hurt and they put Daniel Jones back in, they literally cannot throw the ball, right? You know, they, they have no healthy quarterbacks. They're wildcat offensing, offense, offensing, I guess is a weird word, but they're, they're running a purely wildcat offense with Saquon Barkley. And they they're still able to get into a, a they, they get a first down or two on that drive after the after the muff punt without a quarterback knowing that you're going to run the ball knowing that they have a lead to make a, to get to a field goal range that would have made it a two possession game that they ultimately missed but it's like still like even when they don't have anything close to a, a passing game the Bears still could not stop the run in that game and you mentioned earlier like they were so focused on Saquon Barkley that they were letting Dan, Daniel Jones scramble on those rollouts it's like like you said it, it was Saquon Barkley or nothing but Barkley still got his 150 yards or whatever it was they yeah. weren't even stopping him when they were focused on just him right. so like it was nothing or nothing was <laughs> a lot of times I thought the defense was there and it's it's frustrating how in every game this season they have not consistently stopped the running game yeah, and and just to go back to Houston for a second, I, I believe that Lovey Smith showed the whole world. 
because he still calls the defensive plays for the Texans, showed the whole world how to counteract the Justin Fields bootleg. Uh, and that's for yeah. the guy on, on the backside, which would be the side that Fields is rolling to, to just keep coming. Don't, don't go for the play fake. Don't worry about it. Just keep coming. We'll let the other 10 guys worry about the other 10 guys. You have Fields. Go and get him because that's what we saw against Houston was that guy just kept coming up the field and Fields could never turn the corner to try to run the boot. Then you saw it again the next week against the Giants. The Vikings were doing it. We saw, uh, well, we they tried to turn him into a straight pocket passer against Washington, which made me beyond frustrated 99% uh, of the time, probably because they can't figure out how to counteract the counteraction that uh, that Lovey showed the rest of the world to do uh, in, in that in that Texans uh, game. So it's like, you know, Luke Getze and, and those guys need to use this time to go back to the drawing board to figure out how, you know, what to do with something like that. Do, do we keep a tight end to, you know, cross block that guy, come across the formation or, or something, you know, you either block that guy coming up field or you, you know, you just run it off into the flat and you be the first option for fields in the passing game, something, but it's like, ever since lovey showed that to the world in the Texans game, that's what everybody else has been using it, and it's been killing our offense. It's interesting because then you go into the Vikings game, and they they switched it up quite a bit offensively, at least in the passing game. They, they ran four plays of play action that whole game. Only two pass attempts. I think two of them were, were scrambles off of that. Like, And they mostly just sat fields back in the shotgun and did straight dropbacks, a lot of like empty packages and stuff, and didn't roll him out of the pocket nearly as much and kept his eyes more, you know, being downfield, not having to worry about, you know, when you're, when you're running play action, you're turning away from the defense to fake the handoff mm-hmm. and then have to turn around and you're, you're now a second late into starting your reads again. And it can slow down some of the processing of the offense. And like in that second half against the Vikings, I mean, it was as good of, of a Justin Fields performance as we've seen as right. a thrower. Like there was something, there was something to that of like, okay, maybe, maybe just putting him back in the shotgun where he was more comfortable at Ohio state. And they ran a couple of shotgun play actions, but he can still keep his eyes downfield. It's more just like the ball fake than turning your head. Like that started working, but then they came back against the commanders and went back to the under center turnaround play action rollout offense, which is still like has, has merit. It's not like a a bad idea, but, but Washington was getting good pressure on him and they were bringing some of that edge pressure once again, like the Texans had shown. And I don't know. I think Luke is still trying to find his balance of like, we want to move the pocket and we do want to run play action, but some, and, and that can work, but when defenses start figuring it out, you you got to just go back into the shotgun and, and let fields kind of have more time to see the field. And, of course, the pass protection being in front of that is a big factor in both cases. Sometimes it's not so much the play call as it is the players, like you said. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's therein lies the problem. I, I, I forget where I heard the, the phrase, but um, with this offense, every play tells its own story. You know, because sometimes the offensive line just straight up lets them down. Sometimes they do their job, but nobody got open. Sometimes they did their job, somebody was open, Fields didn't read. Fields went for the first read instead of like, oh, look at this. It's third and three, like against the commanders. Third and three, he tries to throw the ball deep to Mooney when it was like Pettis or Smith-Marset coming across the middle of the field wide open. You know, could have still been, could have turned the corner and ran past Mooney and his defender before the guy turns around has a you know a first down plus plus more than what Mooney could have gotten if he caught the ball uh kind of thing. It it's it's always something uh that you know is causing the deficit or uh for the play not to go uh the way that it was supposed to. That Ryan Griffin throw uh in the end zone uh, on Thursday night. 
You know, depends on on who you want to blame it on. What, did Griffin, you know, not break soon enough? Did he not run fast enough? You know, because some say maybe he let up after he, uh, you know, got away from the defender. Or, you know, is it all on fields? He just put too much on the ball kind of thing. You can argue about that all day and all night as to who was at fault at there. Whether you want to blame them both, one or the other, it doesn't matter. It didn't happen. That that play, we, we score that touchdown, we win the game. Lauren, we win the game. That's, that's all the points we needed was that and the touchdown in the second half. 14 does it. We, we win the game. But uh, for a while there, yeah, go ahead. For a while there, it felt like first first team to find the end zone wins. Yeah, <laughs> it really did. And, and, and that was essentially that's of a true. Touchdown. Essentially, yeah. it's true because the, the, the commanders didn't really find the end zone so much as they kind of fell into it. Thanks to Valus Jones again yeah. uh, in, in this one. But it's just that. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but no, I mean, between the, the Ryan Griffin play and the, there were a couple others where it's just like it was weird about the Washington game. Like fields just looked more inaccurate than, than we were used to. Like, yeah, yeah there were the couple against the Texans that were both intercepted, but like, uh, I don't know, like it, those were not easy throws, but like the Ryan Griffin one was supposed to be easy. And there was, I think a, a play out of the backfield. He was just supposed to flip it to Herbert or Ebner and it's too far in front of him. Or there was a, like an out route to Mooney that wasn't very deep downfield and he just put it behind him too far. And there was just those weird throws where it's like, like we're used to the offense not necessarily firing correctly offensively, but like usually the problem is not like a, a blatant inaccurate miss on what should be an easy type of throw for Fields. It was just it was weird, and then of course he comes back with the Dante Pettis deep bomb that makes the really difficult throw there look way too easy and puts it yeah. up there and gets. So I mean, it's just it's it's weird. I, I, there's just so much is weird and hard to explain about this offense, and other than just like yeah, the players aren't very good. That's that's the, the closest explanation we've got. Is just yeah, not great players are inconsistent, and sometimes they play well and sometimes they don't. But we don't have any rhyme or reason as to when they're playing well and when they're not. Yeah, and then it, you know before we dive fully into the Washington game, the 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 Vikings game. You know we 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 get the field goal early and then twenty one unanswered. Actually, the Vikings score in the opening drive. They start out three drives, three touchdowns. It's 21 to 3 and it's like okay, well the Vikings are off to score at, you know uh, 84 points in this one or uh, or whatever it was and they're 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 off to break the scoreboard against us for as easy as they're making it look and then that crazy throw from Fields to Mooney to set up the first touchdown just before halftime opens the floodgates essentially for the offense because it wasn't until the fourth quarter before we didn't score again. And let's not forget the the shank by the Vikings punter right yeah. before that that gave them yeah. good field position. I mean, of course, I don't want to take anything away from the catch, but I was I was just scrolling back through the game real quick and I forgot about that fifteen yard punt by the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. But then but no, you're right. It took it took a, a miraculous like one handed twisting Odell Beckham like catch from Mooney to really I don't know if it's it's just sort of like a sort of solidifying their confidence or what it is that opens the offense back up there where everyone can feel like, oh, yeah, like this team can move the ball again. And, oh, I can hit receivers downfield, and this does – this can work. And for some reason, you know, it kind of helped the defense hold things down at the end there and mm-hmm. force the Vikings into a field goal that they ultimately – did they did they block that one or was, or was that just it was. one that they missed? Uh, Robinson blocked it. Yeah. So, like, you know, all of a sudden, like, just the confidence level seemed to be – seemed to rise across the board of this. Like, yeah, we're they're down – well, after that, they would have been, what, 21-7 or 21-10 at that time after the, mm-hmm. the Mooney touchdown. It was like, yeah, even though it's still an 11-point game or whatever it ended up being, 
it, you're still like right back into this, and I and I like the way that well, because for, for, yeah, well, right. no, actually, I, I think you know, I know which one, which one I'm talking about now. He he missed the field goal right before the half, so it's still twenty-one to ten, and then we get the ball to start the second half and score a touchdown on that drive, and now it's a five-point game because for some reason we went for two. Uh, that Dante Pettis play you were talking about, yeah, um, you know, it was. It's it was hilarious to me because earlier in the game Dante Pettis dropped two of the easiest balls he's going to see in his career, but catches that one when he is hit the second that he gets the football, but he hangs on to that one. Do you think it was when I watched that live? I thought it was early contact. I thought I thought they started pulling his shoulders before the like right before the ball. I mean, would it make a difference? I mean, what are they going to line up and do it again? But like, well, if there's if there's anything that we know about Dante Pettis is that apparently the referees hate him because <laughs> he didn't yeah. get that call. Because I think you're right, actually. Now that I think about it, he didn't get that call, and he didn't get the call on Thursday night where the defender had his right arm hooked the entire time, and then after he somehow miraculously gets his hands. Both hands on the ball. He had the ball in his hands, but then he proceeds to get his head ripped off uh, in the end zone and can't hang on to it. Oh, we're just going to let him play here. No flag. You know, but two of those yeah. bogus pass interference that they called on the Bears earlier on the touch to, or the field goal drive for this, uh, I keep wanting to say Redskins, God help me, commanders uh, before the half, flags all over the place on those, but Dante Pettis gets molested in the end zone. Nothing. Nothing. You know, I was say we could agree that Commanders is a boring name and it, it doesn't stick on the brain at all. Like, horribly can, boring. Like, horribly. Can we get something creative at all, or just like generic? Like, I was, well I was all on generals. the, I was all on the on the Red Tails, Red Wolves, yeah, uh, bandwagon when they when that was being tossed around. When I saw it was Commanders, I was very disappointed. Yeah, I fell asleep at the press conference, right? Like, ugh. <laughs> but but no. But the other thing that stood out to me with that Pettis play is like, I get the Bears don't have wide receiver talent. But if you're going to throw a quick wide receiver screen for a big two point conversion play, is is Pettis the guy you go to there? You know, like, yeah. and not that like Equinemius St. Brown doesn't necessarily strike you as that much better of an idea, but like, could you motion Mooney there? I mean, could you put Valus Jones out there to just catch a quick screen and go in the end zone? You know, I just Pettis is the guy you're on, on a critical two point conversion attempt. We're going to do a screen to to Dante. Pettis, who's already dropped those two balls. I just, I get maybe wanted to show confidence in him, like, hey, we still believe in you. Go, go make this play. But I, and that wouldn't have been my first, second, or third choice. I think. Right. Agreed. <laughs> this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by PointsBet. Guys, it's finally here. Sports Drink and PointsBet have partnered up to bring you the world's greatest BTU themed threads for the Bears season. Just imagine the blue and orange confetti can cascading down from the rafters of State Farm Stadium while you're donning the greatest T-shirt known to man, a Bears Talk Underground T-shirt. And it's very simple. You got to go to sportsdrink.org slash shirts, fill out the quick Google form, register for your points bet account, and deposit at least $10. That's all it's going to cost you if you want to get your hands on this T-shirt. And then finally, you upload your proof of deposit uh, as well. Once you submit... Our beautiful friends will have your shirt out the door and on the way to you. And once again, that is sportsdrink.org slash shirts. Once again, sportsdrink.org slash shirts. Guys, I'm in my 16th season doing this show. It's the first time I've had a shirt available for my podcast. I'm so proud to finally have one, and I want you to have it. So follow the steps and get yourself your very own Bearstalk Underground t-shirt today. 
And thank you to PointsBet for partnering up with Sports Drink. And thanks to PointsBet for sponsoring the podcast. <laughs> so, I mean, but that also seems to be our, our chronic illness at the goal line. Is that it never really seems like we have the right personnel or the right call in that situation. Because, you know, as we move forward finally into the, well, actually, before we get to that. But it just, you know, just to finish the point. It always seems like there's something missing with these goal line calls. And, and like you and I said earlier, uh, or, or it was your point actually, was that obviously if the play works, we're, we're probably not talking about this. But because just about every goal line play the Bears have run has failed, that's why we're sitting here scrutinizing like what, what could we have done besides what we tried to do and failed miserably at. If, is, is Dante Pettis the guy that you really want to put the ball in his hands in that situation uh, to try to get us within a field goal, you know, of, of the lead and, and, and all that kind of stuff is uh, Khalil Herbert, the guy you try, you want trying to dig out the tough yards when we've got one of the best one yard running backs in the NFL standing on the sideline for some reason and, and, and things like that. It always seems to be a little something where it's just like the, the, whether it was the call or the players on the field, something is always just not right about what we call in those goal-to-go situations. The, the one thing I'll, I'll give the Bears credit for is staying aggressive in those moments. Yeah. I mean, we saw it. Like, I, I like that you know, they're going for it on fourth and one because you should be able to get one yard instead of like just – like cause you, you remember how frustrating it would be when the Bears would get fourth and goal on the one and take a field goal where yeah. it's just like just – Go for it. Like you're on the one yard line. But we, we've seen that, you know, they, like they were very conservative in the first couple of games, but, you know, Minnesota and Washington, like both games, Matt Nibaflus was was willing to dial it up and say, you know, fourth down, we're going to stay on the field and go for it here. We're going to go for two here or like against the Vikings, the fake onside, or the, the, yeah, like the quick onside yeah, kick out I of love the, that. after the touchdown. Loved like it. It, it, in, in all those cases, it like the result didn't necessarily work. They didn't get the two-point conversion. They didn't get the onside kick, but I love that they're attempting them and that they're going for them. They seem to be the right, like, not overly aggressive. Like, it's not reckless, but it is, like, riding some momentum, feeling the flow of the game and saying, you know, let's let's go with this because right now this is the right time to do it. And, and again, like, even though they haven't worked, I, I, I do, I do want to give them credit for having – for not being too scared to go for it in those situations where they really should. Yeah, I, I agree. They, I, I mean, I felt that they were grossly conservative against the Giants. Uh, I felt like yeah. they, they didn't go for it in situations I felt they should have uh, against the Giants. I think it was like the first time we're in the red zone, fourth and goal from the three. It's like, just go for it. Just go for it. I mean, this it's it just felt like one of those games where – Obviously, points are going to be at a premium, but it's not like the Giants are going to run away with this thing if we come away with nothing here. Uh, it just it just felt that way. Like there were situations like just go for it, man, or like at the end of the game when uh, you know the third and two, we hand the ball to Herbert. He just lowers his head and just runs forward as opposed to running a play that would have actually attempted to get a first down. And instead, Eberflus plays it close. He decides to punt him back. The defense stops him, and then Valus Jones happens. I guess he didn't see that in the plan uh, or anything like that. <laughs> that. Otherwise, you know, it, it you know the plan was was brilliant as far as what Eberflus had in mind, uh, kind of thing. But the, you know, the conservatism really hurt us against the Giants, and then we get more aggressive against Minnesota. We get more aggressive against the Reds, Redskins. God help me, Commanders, 
And like, I still say San Diego when I talk about the Chargers. I, I, yeah. I've, I've caught myself doing it a thousand times. In Oakland. Yeah. I don't know if I'm so much as, uh, because Oakland, the Raiders' names has changed like five times in my lifetime. Sure. So them and having a different, you know, surname, if you will, uh, every single time, it's not really a thing uh, or one where you have to worry about it too much. Sure. But, uh, you know, with the with the commanders and the chargers not being in San Diego anymore, that's a bit more, uh, that's been like my whole life. And all of a sudden, something I've been calling this one thing for 30 plus years now is something different. And it's, you always forget uh, kind of thing. So, yeah. But, um, you know, it, it just... It's it, it, it's kind of like the orange helmets of naming conventions. It's like it's been uh, one way for thirty years. Let's not change it. You know, that was truly awful, was it not? It it fit the game so well, though. You know, like you just kind of it was appropriate. Kind of like that. I don't know if you watched on the Amazon broadcast at the halftime. They had like some comedian do like a late night television show, quick mon like monologue thing, like with uh-huh. making fun of football, and it was just. It wasn't funny. It was just dumb and it was brutal. And like again, the, the helmets, the halftime thing, the game—they were all the same quality. It just was all they kept the theme going really, really well. <laughs> oh man, I just I just hated it so much. The the orange helmets with the orange jerseys, my other non least favorite thing ever, uh, all together in the same place, and it's just. It, but you're right. It fit the evening perfectly. For, we we played as well as we were dressed on Thursday in, in my opinion. So, um, you know, but, but the big disappointment about that Minnesota game, just to finish it off here was after the defense played so well from the end of the second quarter into the fourth quarter played well enough that we were able to take advantage, get a lead. They blocked a field goal for us to keep the game the same and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Seven, 17 plays, f- yep. seven minutes, 75 yards, and give up the, the game-winning uh, touchdown. It's like, it was like watching the Pittsburgh game all over again, where Justin Fields is playing out of his mind. He gets us a lead from, an, from a place we did not expect to get a lead from, and here we are. We've got the lead. Now we just need the defense to make a stop, and we can win this thing, and instead – a seven-plus-minute drive, 75 yards, 17 plays, and now Justin Fields has to go and win the game for us as opposed to adding to the lead that he was able to get us back. And the more you look at that 17-play drive, the more frustrating it is, right? I think they uh, converted four third downs no, no, on no. there. There were five. Five. They were, they were five of six, and the beautiful yeah, right. part, Lauren, five of six on third down was that the one third down we held him on they converted on fourth down. So that was the holding penalty on, uh, I think it was Jalen Jones or something like that, yeah. on on Justin Jefferson on fourth and three or something like that, uh, yeah, the, to give the Vikings the first down. So they, even though they didn't convert that third down, they converted it on fourth thanks to a, a penalty that propelled them to, uh, to, to, to be able to score the touchdown and, and take the win. Like how many different times do you have? How many opportunities do you need to be able to get off the field and just like, like at that point, you know? I mean, certainly the Vikings earned it, right? I mean, you made them earn it. All all seven of those points, or I guess eight points, they did the two point conversion. Like, but it, it's just it's mind boggling for this defense, like how much the struggles have been, and for defense especially, like that has been so good in the second half. Like that was the only second half touchdown they've allowed, or did they allow one against Washington too? But technically, yes, they did. I don't put yeah. that on the defense at all, but technically, yes, After they the gave muff. up a second half yeah. touchdown and against Washington. But 
up to that point, this was the first second yeah. half touchdown they had allowed all season. And it was like, it was so easy for the Vikings in the first half, but second half it's like, oh no, they, they figured it out. Like they shut down the Justin Jefferson stuff. The Vikings aren't moving the ball at all in these quarters. Like the Bears took the lead and you're like, Vikings aren't going to drive down and score easily on this drive. And I guess to, to, to the point, it wasn't easy for them to go 75 yards. I mean, 17 play drives just don't typically happen, but whatever, I don't know what they just ran out of whatever they had found in the third quarter. That's for sure. Yeah. It was, um, I mean, a hell of a time for them to have a lapse uh, like that for them to, you know, not figure out how to tackle and, and, you know, to, to just not be there the way they were through the, the, the very end of the second quarter. And then all throughout the third quarter and most of the fourth, because that seven minutes only left us with like a buck 29 to go and win the game. So it was uh, it was a gut wrenching drive to sit there and watch and you're constantly converting on those third downs, making that stupid holding penalty uh, on fourth down to just give them the ball some more and everything like that. And then you you made that awesome tweet that uh, I don't know who it was that that responded to it or, or whatever about Roquan missing that tackle on uh on what's his name uh Rager uh that scored mm-hmm. the touchdown Roquan put himself right in the spot where he needed to be in order to make the tackle and then let him shake him out of his boots he didn't even touch him he runs in for the touchdown to go ahead and, and take the win I think the Rieger touchdown was early oh no no that was game. the 21 to 3 wasn't it yeah that was the one that went up 21 the, the, the last one was the QB sneak and then they yeah. did the Justin Jefferson two-point conversion where he's right, right. diving across the pylon and extends the ball out. And Right. But, yeah, yeah but you are you made that point. $20 million a year quarterback, our linebackers have to make that play. And, and Roquan Smith said it himself after the game. Same same thing. He said, yeah, I, if I, if I want to be the kind of player I know I can be and I want to go the places I want to go, I need to make that play. So, I mean, to his credit, he recognized it and said, yeah, I, it, it's Jalen Rieger we're talking about here. We're not talking about – if that's Tyreek Hill, or, yeah, right, like, okay, I can – I can live with that. Like really good player versus really good player. Sometimes the other really good player is going to win. But Rieger was, you know, a, a first round pick, yes, but a cast off from Philadelphia yeah. that was maybe not going to make their roster had the Vikings not traded for him. So like this right. is not. I mean, it would have been like that happening to to Valus. Like if that's Valus Jones and Roquan Smith makes the misses the tackle there, like right? I mean, like that's <laughs> that's the kind of thing we're working with here. Like you just you got to make that play. Yeah. So you know, and then. Amir Smith Marset, boy, he made himself famous in that one, didn't he? The he, he uh, feels like he's going to go down as one of those infamous bears, oof, right? Like he is, yeah. Uh, like the anti Devin Aroma should do, yeah. Like you know, Devin Aroma should do is known for that one outstanding game he had against Minnesota, and then he was virtually never heard from again. Uh, Amir Smith Marset, not once but twice, cost us the game against the. Vikings he he has the stupid block in the back penalty on what was Justin Fields best play of the year that 52 yard touchdown run that gets called back and then instead of trying to instead of running out of bounds after making a 15 yard catch uh getting a first down he's instead he wants to try to dig for yardage and whatnot gets the ball ripped out of his hands ball game over Bears lose so again another what if scenario we'll never know if we could have finished off that drive and tied the game because Smith Marset had to be fancy, he had to, you know, have his moment and got, he certainly had a moment. All right. Got the ball ripped out of his hands and he's now infamous in Chicago, not famous, infamous. There's a big difference. 
Yeah, I'd, against his former team too, right? Like, yeah. just I mean, he wants to make a big play. You get it, but you got it. I mean, uh, I mean, I really like the way after the game, Justin Fields said, you know, like we got to rally around him and lift him up because well, he knows he, he messed up, and yeah. yeah, and and you know, like no one intends, no one wants to fumble, no one intends to fumble. Like he's not trying to. So, like, I I get it, but God, he and Dante Pettis both need to be on the bench, but you just don't have enough healthy options to keep them both on the bench. So as we move into the Washington game, finally, we're actually doing it this time for real. Uh, I was upset going into the game because the Bears did something that I knew they were going to do, but I hoped that they weren't. And that was uh, put uh, Nikhil Harry on the inactive list. After the day that we had in Minnesota on Sunday, they activate him to the, to the roster uh, on Monday they show him as a full participant in practice on Wednesday if they had practice, quote-unquote, uh, and whatnot. But if they practice, he's a full participant, which means he's healthy and he can play, and then he's inactive. With all the help we need in the wide receiving core, with all the help that we need, can't be any worse. You know, it's like, I don't know what Nikhil Harry's going to give us, but I sure as hell would have loved to have seen it on Thursday night rather then give Dante Pettis another shot, even though he capitalized on it, or God forbid, Amir Smith-Marset. He shouldn't even be on the team after what he did uh, on Sunday, let alone be out there somebody that we're counting on. It's so weird to me that they activated Nikhil Harry and made him take a 53-man roster spot yeah. just to make him inactive for the game and waste a 53 like you could have kept there was no deadline immediately to activate him like you could have stayed on ir through the weekend you could activate him for this week whenever he's ready to actually play in a game yeah activate him because he takes somebody's 53 man roster spot and they could have had i mean not that it would, would, would have been the difference in winning and losing the game probably not but it's just about finding any little advantage you can you know if you could have had one more healthy player in there instead of someone else i mean i don't, I don't know the exact math on who it would be or who would not maybe it's a backup wherever but like still like wherever you can find the advantages go get it and and to make harry take a roster spot when someone healthy could have been in there and maybe made some sort of impact more than he did or well, he how could. about you know simba walker or isaiah coulter uh instead of smith marset or you know just somebody we, else you if know we're pinning our hopes on simba webster and isaiah coulter we're in a very very dark place i agree 100 <laughs> percent but we saw what we're getting from this guy. How about yeah. we try somebody else? Because it's not like we have to burn a roster spot. We can just bring the guy up for the game day roster and then put him back down on the yeah. practice squad. You know, it's like it's not like the old NFL where somebody's got to get cut and somebody else has to, you know, sign, you know, to the roster and blah, 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 blah. We can activate the guy for game day and then send him back to the practice squad. Anything would be better than what we've gotten from Smith Marset these last couple of weeks. You know, what aren't yeah. those guys doing in practice to get a spot over this guy when he's been shitting the bed in the games? You know? I, it, right? I mean, and they've, they've been practicing with the team longer. Like, they've been around in the offense for longer. Yes. Like, it just I, – I, it's not like, like Smith-Marset is proven to be just so much more talented necessarily. I yeah. just – I don't understand. And you even, like, you can glance around and look at some of the other free agent wide receivers. Not that you could just sign somebody and plug him in right away, but, like – Will Fuller's still sitting out there. Danny Amendola, Adam Humphreys. Like, you know, there's there's some names out there that are better than they're not good, but are better than well, they're, Smith, they're upgrades Marcet, over Pettis. virtually everything we have on our roster right now. Yes, and I know, and I don't know why that that Ryan Poles, who's who's so hell bent on improving this roster, 
wouldn't take a one-year flyer pulling one of these guys off the street knowing that anything they do will be better than what we've got going on right now. So, I mean, and sometimes I think maybe our, our, our loaf system or our hits principle or whatever might be working against the Bears because they're not seeing what they want to see from guys like Coulter and, and Webster in practice, but they're seeing it from Smith-Marset. So he's the guy that's going to get to play versus these practice squad guys that aren't quite getting the job done in practice rather than be like, you know what? We're going to give these guys a shot because come game day, this guy's not doing his job. And, and to your point there, like, for if you're like a veteran player like some of the other free agents we mentioned, like you're gonna come in here and have have every hustle, you know, marked and scolded for every time you don't sprint 100. percent For for a coach that like is not winning right now, right. like it's one thing for for these younger players to just you know they're gonna buy in and do whatever coach says, and and it's it's good, like it's a good idea and it's a good system and a good concept. But I can imagine if you're a veteran player who is kind of coming here going like, well, who are you to tell me that this this and this? You know, like you're gonna you're gonna get on my hustle and all this stuff, but you guys still aren't winning games. Do you know what you're talking about? Like, am I going to go have to work extra, extra hard to play for this Bears team that's two and four? Or when I could maybe wait and get on a contender that's not going to make me work quite as hard, but I can still be just as effective on game day and right. be on a better team? Like, I, I, there's some, I think there's something to that. Like, obviously, the money is, is what we'll really talk. I mean, you pay these guys enough, they'll play pretty much anywhere but like I, I can't help but wonder if there's some aspect of that that this works better with younger players on a fresh team like this and that veterans like until it's more established as the t- as the team being successful if it's a little bit harder to sell older players on it right so again I'm starting off the evening irritated because for appearances sake I would have appreciated the Bears not activating uh Harry just because, like I'm saying, we need all the help we can get in the wide receiving core. Him being activated and then being shown as a full participant in practice tells me he's ready to play. In a game where we need the help coming off of one of just a god-awful performance, uh, you know, a few days prior on Sunday, and yet he's inactive. We're going to save it. His first game in a bear uniform is going to be against his old mates uh, in New England on Monday Night Football. Fine, but uh, I don't appreciating you know I don't appreciate as a fan you know basically essentially being jerked off you know and and not being allowed to to you know any satisfaction. I wanted to see Harry play in this game, and God knows we needed him. Yeah, I mean, it, what, you what you wonder in a game that's so close like that, and you when you can't score at the goal line in the red zone, if you put in a what is he six foot four, two hundred and twenty pound wide beast, receiver, something man. like that. He is like, a big six guy. two, but. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, he can't separate as a route runner. Like, he is not a good route runner, not a guy who consistently gets open. But in the red zone, he can win difficult, contested catches. He can be almost like that tight end at wide receiver that it's not going to give you a lot of space, but if you just put it near him, he can bring that ball in and hopefully make a play on it. So, yeah, you wonder, like, in a, in a game, specifically in a game like what that in Washington, when any one of those red zone trips ending in a touchdown would have been the difference in the game. Yeah. A player like that could have been the difference. Like, you know, like against Green Bay in week two or whatever, or even against Minnesota, like maybe not one player like that being the difference in the game. But in Washington, a guy like Nikhil Harry could have been. Yeah. And, and I find it amazing, Lauren, that in a game that was, what, 90 or so plays, that the Bears won all but four of those plays, and that was all it took for Washington to win. I'll run them down for you because I've, I've, I've talked about this quite a bit over the last few days. Okay. Play number one, Jonathan Allen was there 
to make the interception after Justin Fields conveniently skipped it off somebody's forehead at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> That's play number one. Play number two, they, um, the linebacker wins the one-on-one with Herbert, stuffs him at the goal line, turns us away. I don't count the Ryan Griffin thing because Washington had nothing to do with that. That was either too much on the ball from Fields or not enough running from Ryan Griffin. You go ahead and debate that one yourself. Washington had nothing to do with it. So I can't give them credit for that one. That was a play we didn't make, not a play that Washington did. So, But Washington did make the play on fourth down, stuffing Herbert at the goal line. That's number, that's number two. Number three, recovering Valus Jones' fumble uh, after the Soldier Field turf uh, jumped up and got him because uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I put that half on Valus Jones, half on the Chicago Park District because they've always taken such great care of the turf uh, in Soldier Field. And, you know, here he is tripping. <laughs> he's tripping on nothing. That's why he's. That's why the ball hits him in the face instead of the chest because he's on his knees when the yeah, ball gets there. I was going to say, he's on, that was the thing that stood out. All the, all the still images of it. Like, he's on his knees when he's the ball on, is calling into his hand. on like, his how, knees. How? That's, that's how he muffs it because if he's standing up straight, he catches it in his chest, but he's on his knees, so the first thing that's got contact is his face mask and the, 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 the commander's cover uh, that fumble, and then two plays later, they put it in the end zone. Those are the four plays. That's it. Those four plays was enough for Washington to walk away from that game where they were minus eight minutes in time of possession. We nearly doubled them up in offensive uh, yards. I mean, the Bears almost had 400 yards total offense in this game, Lauren. We nearly doubled them up in, in turnovers. We, just, we did double them up in passing yards, 99 in Justin Fields just under – uh, 200, 236 yards rushing to like 114 uh, or something like that. We literally dominated Washington everywhere. But those four plays that I just listed for you was enough for them to walk away with a win uh, on, on Thursday night. It's unreal. It's weird because like I found myself like I, I feel how do you feel about the way the Bears defense played in that game? Because like you, you hold Washington to 12 points and that should be enough to win any any game yes. and, and and like generally right you think you said they doubled them up like they held Kirk Carson Wentz to 100 yards and they weren't running the ball like that great overall but I still was I still kept coming away feeling like you know like Carson Wentz turns the ball over a lot and they didn't get a single one on him mm-hmm. and there there were a couple of those plays by Terry McLaurin that was nice downfield and uh, Gibson had a couple of big runs in there like they ripped off a few runs and like you know when they got after the muff after the muff punt it was a little too easy to get in the end zone there I would like of course you have to give up a field goal there minimum. Like they're, you're just, they're already in field goal range. So I wouldn't, I would be fine if that had been three points, but like, I, I don't, I don't want to hate on the defense there because again, 12 points is, is that's the name of the game and they did yeah. their job. But I, I didn't come away feeling like, Oh, the defense dominated and the offense fully, fully let them down. Like it was just, it, I mean, clearly the offense was, was the problem, but I, I, I don't know. I'm still torn on how I feel about the defense in the game. Right. But that's where I've come. I, I've been coming across saying that the team, Dominated, you know, because the offense, nearly 400 yards total offense, uh, the defense holding them to, you know, 214, that's the best performance either one of those units have had all year long. Statistically, anyway. We've, we've not come close to 400 yards total offense in any game so far this year, have we? No, I don't think so. Not yeah. close. So, I mean, because even in the Texans game, we ran for 280. Justin Fields had like 70 yards passing 
in that game. So yeah, we were 300, but not four uh, in that one. <laughs> yeah. And you know, uh, it's it's just that's what it's been like. And and, and the defense was steady. You know, yeah, they gave up a play, a gave a play here, but we never really were in danger against Washington. It was never like against, uh, you know, Minnesota or, or, or even uh, against the Giants where we gave up those touchdown plays uh, and they really gashed us for one and, may, and, you know, and hurt us bad or anything. The defense was, was bend but don't break like it was against uh, the 49ers. You know, mm-hmm. the 49ers had their drives. They moved the ball down the field, but ultimately they went home with 10 points. Same thing with the with the Washington game. You know, Ben, but don't break yet. Gibson had a nice run here. McLaren makes a play. You know, they're looking for Diami Brown downfield and so on and so forth. But ultimately, they're going to punt the ball back to us. That's what's going to happen here. Or they're going to maybe attempt a field goal kind of thing. That was the worst that was going to happen. The only reason they scored a touchdown was when they started a drive at our six-yard line. So, you know, I, I, gave, I gave a game ball to Allen Williams because it was the best defensive performance we've had since the 49er game, and it wasn't the defense's fault that we lost the game. Um, you know, ultimately they gave up the touchdown, but they was, they were, was, their heels were on the goal line, literally, and at the start of that drive, there's only so much you can ask them to do. Obviously, a touchdown was the worst-case scenario, but starting at the six-yard line is way, way worse than that. You know, so, uh, you know, I can't really fault the defense for their performance. I agree with you. They didn't dominate the game or anything like that. I'm not going to come out here and say it. I will say it's their best performance since week one, and they played well enough for us to win. And ultimately, the offense did let them down. Three red zone trips, zero points. There's your ball game right there. And I'm with you 100% on the game ball for Allen Williams thing, too. I mean, the way that they brought those blitzes out on third down, I mean, like you were saying, they're, they're, that, that was a nice wrinkle, and it felt like the you know innovation or just like learning, right? Not, not just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. And, and to their credit, like we talked about how against New York and Washington, right, they came out in both of those games abysmal with nothing fresh or new, and it wasn't until the second half that they figured out how to stop the other team. But it felt like against Washington, like, from the opening drives, they were blitzing him on third down. Like that first, the first third down of the game was Jaquan Brisker's sack. Yeah, where they sent him. So like, they well, were. I mean, and that was after that, that was after Robinson gained like two yards on two carries. Yeah. So our great weakness in in the running game, uh, you know, we shut that down, and then we blitz on something on third down, something we virtually haven't done. Oh, uh, we've done some run blitzing, but never really any, you know, go get the quarterback on third down, uh, blitzing. And here we are, boom, Jaquan Brisker. Before uh, Wentz is even in his drop, Brisker has is, is got him on the ground. It's done. It's over with. So, yeah, I mean, that I, was nice to see. And as I'm looking through, I think their second third down was also a blitz. Uh, Roquan Smith getting a sack there on, on third and five in the second yeah, round. Yeah, but he, so like, Roquan, man, he's got a real bad habit of coming in out of, out of, out of control. Mm-hmm. You know, he just comes flying in. And God bless him, you know, for the speed that he has. And he gets there when he needs to. But he gets there out of control. So he, he always is running past his target as opposed to running right into it kind of thing. I and, know Wentz is a big quarterback uh, and everything, but Wentz almost got away from him uh, on that play, and it's because Roquan came in too hot. That, that's another one of those, like, if if Carson had fully escaped, not been sacked, and picked the first down, which he didn't, and Roquan right. recovered and got the sack and good. Like, but had he not, that would be another one of those if you want to be a $20 million linebacker, you got to make that sack. And he did make that sack, so yeah. I give him credit for it. But it was close to being another one of those, like, dude, 
you have if you want to be a special player, you have to make special plays and and right. can't miss those ones. If, if you want to be in the 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 Fred Warner, uh, you know, Shaq um, Leonard Leonard uh, conversation, you make that play on the first try, not on the second. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I agree. You, you you get him down, you wrap him up, you take him down. You, you know, you don't go nearly running past him because you came in out of control once again. Because I mean, I I remember that that Buccaneers game on Thursday night a couple years ago. How many Ro- how many tackles did Roquan miss in the backfield because he virtually just ran across the face of the guy he was trying to tackle? He mm-hmm. just comes flying in there. The guy makes a step to the inside. Roquan's taking out other bears as opposed to actually tackling the guy. I mean, th- this is what this is what gets you in that discussion is that you make that tackle. That's why Fred Warner has his nineteen million a year. That's why Shaq Leonard has his nineteen to twenty million dollar a year, and Roquan's still begging for his. Because those guys know, or the, the guys that sign them, know those guys are going to make that play every time. Whereas Roquan, it's a 50-50 shot. And, yeah, and to be clear, like, and I know I think we're on the same page with this, but just for like, the listeners, like, like, Roquan, like what Roquan's done is like $15 million a year linebacking, yes. which is still really good, right? But if yeah. you want to be the top of the league 20, then you got to really make those kind of plays. And so like, that, that's, I think that's where you get how he and Ryan Poles were farther apart in negotiations, where it's just like, yeah, like, I think Ryan Poles says... You know, you're you're a twelve, fifteen million dollar year linebacker, and that's really, really good. But if you want to be a twenty million dollar year linebacker, then you make that Rieger tackle and you make that Carson Wentz sack on the first try, and then Roquan's got to got to show it to to be really earning that money. And who knows, maybe someone will still be more than willing to pay him that, even if it's not the Chicago Bears. But still, like that's that's a dip. We're not talking like he's bad because he's not making these plays. Right. It's just the difference between very good and elite. You well, know, like, this great. is the same discussion you and I had a couple of years ago about Allen Robinson. Yeah, you know, it's like, do I want to pay Roquan Smith twenty million dollars a year? No, but in order to keep him, that's probably what it's going to take. We had the same argument with Allen Robinson. Do we want to pay Allen Robinson the twenty million that he's asking for? No, I don't think he's worth it for the same reasons. You know, like that pass that I talked about earlier about yeah. you know catching that ball in the end zone against. Uh, the Packers that would have, you know, we would have scored on our opening drive and who knows if, you know, the emotion, the momentum and whatever carries us to a different ball game against the Packers, we'll never know because he didn't make the catch. And how many times have we said that about Robinson? He wants $20 million a year, but he's not making $20 million a year plays. You know, he's making he's- what he's making with L.A., $15 million a year plays. You know, he's a solid, awesome receiver, no doubt. I would still love to have him on the roster. Right now, God knows we could use him, but you know, at eighteen to twenty million dollars, no way, he's not worth it. He's not worth it. And right now, that's what I'm saying about Roquan. I want him to be a bear for life, but not at twenty million dollars a year. He's not a twenty million dollar a year player. I don't care what he thinks in his own head. He's not. Yeah, he's got it. I mean, unless he just goes on a tear yeah, for the he rest balls of the out season. These these, la- these next eleven weeks, absolutely sign the check. You know, that game against the Texans, that was a $20 million linebacker right there. I agree. Against the Texans. 16 tackles, the game-winning interception, so on and so forth. That's a $20 million guy. We had we didn't see him before that. We haven't seen him since in the, in, yeah. you know, in, this, in the first six games. We saw him that one special game against the Texans. Haven't really seen him since then. Yeah, I wondered if that game was going to be a, like a turning a corner, right? Where like yeah. first couple of weeks of the season, he was rusty from missing the preseason and from sitting out. And it's an, it is a new, a slightly new, I mean, it's a new defense and it's a slightly new position. There are some different 
intricacies. It's not brand new, but so like I was willing to give him, I was willing to sort of excuse the first couple of weeks when he played that well against Houston. Like, okay, he's figured it out and I can kind of, I can look past those first two games. He settled in now, but to your point, like yeah, Vikings and, and commanders games, it's kind of been back closer to those first couple of games where it's just not, it's not as decisive. It's not as impactful. It's not as downhill and, and ends up getting made. He's still making a lot of tackles, but those tackles are coming eight and 10 yards past yeah. the line of scrimmage. Yeah. So the offense is already getting the win, but he's getting the tackle in the stat sheet, but it's where he's getting the tackles that make a big difference. Yeah. He's proven himself to be a high value talent, uh, worth big money, but not elite setting the, uh, setting the market money. That's not yes. who Roquan Smith is, uh, right now. So, um, yeah, I don't know what the what the future holds there. I mean, we we the Bears hold the cards as far as like we can just franchise him, uh, like we did with Robinson and and pay him top dollar for one more year while we figure this thing out or or, or what have you. Or maybe we do a a sign and trade. I saw somebody's already doing mock off seasons and they did a <laughs> they did a sign and trade with the Texans. We got like the the first pick in the second round or something for Roquan uh, after like the Bears signed him to the contract and then traded him off to. To, to be Lovey's new Lance Briggs or something like that. So uh, I saw that. And uh, they also had us with the number two pick, which sadly doesn't seem that unrealistic at this point with the way that we've been playing so far this year. I don't think it's going to get that bad, but we're definitely going to be top 10 before it's all said and done. Yeah, I'm thinking like a total of maybe five. Like they, you know, they get three more over the course of the rest of the sure. season. Feels, yeah. feels about right. Well, let me throw one Roquan thing at you real quick. I was talking to the host of Lockdown Cardinals on the Lockdown Podcast Network, and he, 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 was, he was saying, oh, he'd love to have Roquan Smith on their team. I was like, well, let's, let's work this out. He, he offered me Rondell Moore, their second-round pick wide receiver last year from Purdue, the little short, explosive slot guy. Sure, sure. And, and I said, like, he, he said straight up, and I was like, oh, I'm going to need, what? I would need a, little, a, a little bit more than that because like, I'm saying trade right now. Yeah, like, yeah. Season. So, like, Roquan will be a free agent. Someone's going to have to sign him. Right, yeah, but he yeah, said, yeah. like, trade. And I was like, well, I'm going to need a little more of that. He, he, he threw in Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker, first round pick, and Rondell Moore for Roquan Smith in a sixth. And I, 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 don't, I don't hate that because I don't have to pay Roquan Smith anything. I don't have to give him that right. guaranteed money. I don't – it's not – it's not great value, but for an expiring free agent, essentially, uh, you know, in season, give you a good young wide receiver and a, a linebacker who's struggled but is is young and athletic. Like, I don't, I don't hate it. Well, for all the loyalty that Ryan Poles has shown to guys that he didn't bring into this team, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't exactly be floored if uh, two weeks from now during the trade deadline, if Roquan Smith is no longer a Chicago Bear. He and, and guys like... Um, Robert Quinn, uh, Robert Quinn, yeah. you know, and, and, and people that he doesn't plan to sign. God help me if he trades David Montgomery. David Montgomery. I, I, yeah. would, I would lose my mind if he did that. You know, I, I just I just think Montgomery's too important. You know, not only on, Herbert, like, on the field, but like in the locker room, like we'd be losing a leader if we traded David Montgomery away. I, I agree with you 100 percent. And I do think that um, Matt Eberflus seems to really like David Montgomery, like like, but like for a lot of those reasons they talk about, like the personality and the leadership and that sort of stuff. I agree. I do think from an X's and O's standpoint, like Khalil Herbert's been great. You know, I mean, and I and I get that like he's a different style of runner, and that like like you saw on the goal line, like you would be missing something by not having David Montgomery be that guy. I do, but I do think like you know if you traded David Montgomery. What you win four games instead of five? Oh no! You know, <laughs> like at the end of the day, if he's going to be a free agent this year anyway, and yeah. will you sign him? Will you not sign him? 
because the Bears are going to have so much cap space, you're not going to get any compensatory picks next year. Right? You, you know, you're, you're not banking on if you let your free agent walk, you're going to get a pick back for him because the Bears are probably going to spend too much money to get any kind of compensatory pick. So if there's a free agent that you already know, we're probably not going to re-sign him. You might as well if you can get a draft pick for him yeah. or something at, at the deadline. And I could see Montgomery fitting in that category, but I, I like you, I, I really don't think the team will actually do Montgomery specifically, but I, I would consider it for the right offer. Agreed. Uh, I agree, especially since re-signing Montgomery is not going to be cheap. I mean, he's not going to make Christian McCaffrey money, but he's going to be a lot more expensive next year uh, than he is on a third-round draft pick salary, um, you know, going into 2023. And, uh, you know, us having the cap space to sign pretty much anybody we want doesn't matter. They're probably not going to bring Montgomery back next year simply because it's probably going to take about 8 to $10 million a year to, to bring him back. And... I don't know that the Bears are going to make that kind of commitment while we have Khalil Herbert on the roster. So the, the one one caveat there is that you know Luke Getze in Green Bay signed Aaron Jones to twelve million dollars a year while they had AJ Dillon on the roster. Um, <laughs> so I mean it's it's possible, but that seems to be the number, right? Like twelve, it seems to be where the the if you're not Christian McCaffrey, Zeke Elliott, then twelve is where like Aaron Jones and Joe Mixon and Nick Chubb all got. Otherwise, eight is kind of the next step down, like James Conner. Leonard Fournette kind of contract. So mm. that's probably where they're renegotiating in there, which is still a lot to to spend on one running back when you do have Khalil Herbert and you like Tristan Ebner's upside too, even if it hasn't you know been great just yet. So let's look ahead to the six games, as painful as that might be, Lauren, because that's when we're going to have you back and, and talk about all of this again. So we, we know we got Monday night against New England to kick off this second third of the season. Uh, then we're at Dallas back in those glorious orange helmets and orange jerseys uh, again. So I'm, I am deeply looking forward to that. Uh, we come home for Miami and Detroit on the road for Atlanta on the road at the Jets. Now, when the schedule came out, I think you and I were pretty much looking at um, a very good chance to get three wins in a row there, Detroit, Atlanta, and the Jets before uh, the uh, game against Green Bay right before the bye. But uh, now that we're six weeks in, having watched this team play, I'm not so sure how this next six weeks is going to go. I have no idea. Especially when you look, as as we're recording this, like on Sunday – the Jets beat the Packers 27 to 10 wow. and the Falcons beat the 49ers 28 14. So, <laughs> uh, and, uh, the bears did beat the Niners, but, uh, neither of those games look nearly the cakewalk that, that they appeared on the front end. And even the lions, like, yeah, they're one and four, but they've had the number one. Well, I think they're no longer the number one scoring offense, but they have been before they got shut out by the Patriots last week, they were the number one scoring offense in the NFL. And, of course, the number 32 scoring defense in the NFL. But that's one of these sort of like, you know, the Bears' immovable offense and the, the Lions' no-stopping defense. I don't know <laughs> what was going to win when those two go head-to-head. And that, that game's still, you know, what, four or five games away. So a lot can change between now and then. But, yeah, like, if the Patriots just shut out the Lions, I'd... I can't imagine the Bears are going to get a ton of points there. The Cowboys have looked really good, with even with Cooper Rush in there. We don't know what the Dolphins are going to have at quarterback, whether it's Bridgewater or Skylar Thompson, or by some miracle, Tuatanga Vailoa is back and playing by then, but he probably shouldn't be. I think for a doctor's standpoint, he probably shouldn't be. So maybe Miami becomes a more beatable opponent on there. And you feel like you have to get 
at least one of Detroit, Atlanta, and the Jets. Like they can't all be play. Like the Jets and the Falcons are still not good teams. Like they won yeah. in this these, this week, but they're not going to be like playoff teams all of a sudden. I, I just don't see that really coming together. And again, that's a month away. Uh, you know, a quarterback gets injured here or a star pass rusher gets injured there and it can very much change how these matchups look on paper. And all of a sudden, too, the Packers losing to the Jets makes that week 13 game against the Packers less daunting as it may have looked also. Right. So, yeah, but the next time we talk, we'll be heading into the Green Bay game uh, just before our bye finally in week 14. Um, So it's like, New England and Dallas have star pass rushers in Judon, and uh, the Cowboys have two in Dexter Lawrence and especially Micah Parsons. Uh, Demarcus so, Lawrence. Dexter's Demarcus. the Giants. Ah, you're right. Demarcus Lawrence. Sorry. Um, but, yeah, those two guys that, uh, you know, pretty much um, beat up pretty good on Daniel Jones on, on Monday night a few weeks ago and, uh, you know, held Tom Brady to, uh, you know, to, to minimum points in, in that week one uh, matchup and that uh, they've been, uh, they sacked Matthew Stafford five times last Sunday uh, when they beat the Rams in LA uh, and everything. Cooper Rush is, is the uh, Chris Carter uh, of quarterbacks where Chris Carter, all he did is score touchdowns. Well, Cooper Rush, all he does is win football games. Dude's mm-hmm. undefeated. You know, he's got a chance to beat the only undefeated team in the league tonight on Sunday Night Football. Uh, so it's just like, yeah, I'm not looking forward to that one, especially since we're wearing the orange unis. I cannot express to you enough how much. <laughs> Number one, you already knew how I felt about the orange jerseys, but throwing an orange helmet on top of it is just hell on earth for me. It just It's the only thing that could have been worse would be orange pants to go with it. Uh, like the head-to-toe orange uniforms. I've seen people do that on on Madden, and I hope they all die. Horrible <laughs> Every that last one of them. Take it out of the game. Yeah, Ugh, don't let it just happen. terrible. So, and my fans, I will say, my listeners love to tease me about it. They absolutely love to tease me about the orange. Love it. They they can't get enough. So I, I will say there's something, you know, as I look at the schedule, and it's like, yeah, Patriots in Dallas the next two games on the road. I don't think either one of us will be predicting wins entering those games. So they lose those two near on five losses in a row right in the middle chunk of the season. That feels weirdly Matt Nagy-esque, right? I mean, like, that's (laughs) you you win a couple games early on. You're like, two and one. Like, okay, maybe this Bears team will be better than we think they were this season. And then five in a row in the main meat of the schedule. And it's like, oh, yeah, never mind. Like, this is... A little bit too familiar. Not not comparing Eberflus and Nagy because there's I mean there's a lot of night and day differences in, in that. But in terms of the results in the team that we're seeing on the field, there's you can't just erase all of the you can't fumigate the Nagy stench out in one off season. How about that? <laughs> I agree. Unfortunately, I agree. But yeah, we got New England and Dallas on the road, home for Miami and Detroit, and then on the road for Atlanta uh, and the Jets. And um, you know, I. I it's like the only the only game I feel confident in saying that we can win. I'm not really even that confident, and that's Detroit, just because we always beat Detroit. Even at our worst under Nagy, we beat Detroit almost every time. So Especially at home. Yeah. Like that that one's at home. So like you'd think that should be one they can win, but uh, you just can't yeah. say so for certain. You know, you just yeah. you just can't. Not with the way that Detroit's been rattling off the points uh this year. You know, because we know we don't have a defense that can match them in a shootout despite them having 
the worst scoring defense in the NFL. That doesn't mean that we're going to pile on like everybody else has. We haven't shown that we can do it. So I don't know, man. I just don't know. It's uh, something's got to click. Something's got. Yeah. They got to figure something out. Hopefully, this break is exactly what they need. I'm not saying they're going to come out in New England and everything's going to be buzzing like a uh, you know buzzing like whatever. It, it just I, I I'm just hoping that you know Eberflus and and company actually find something that they know that they can fix that they can help pr- improve the team so that we can be competitive. I mean, not that we haven't been as far as like the scoreboard is concerned we, we, when we're playing in, in all but one uh, one score game so far this year. You know, as, even in the games that we've lost, they're all one score losses. And, and, and uh, aside from the Green Bay game and everything, we're virtually in everything. It's just a matter of getting something to bring it all together uh, kind of thing. Like you and I talked about it in, in, in the preseason saying, you know, as silly as it sounds, uh, I'm worth with Nagy. We're always upset about the wins. I want to feel good about the losses. Minnesota was one of those games. I felt better about the team after that loss than I had going into it, quite frankly. And then the Washington game happens and it's like, well, that kind of erased all of that uh, in one fell swoop with just how poorly we played uh, in that game. Yeah. It's just too familiar of a feeling and it's, yeah. You yeah. who who knows maybe maybe that third round pick they get for Robert Quinn at the trade deadline can be just what this team needs to put him over the top. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, you know addition by subtraction or something. Getting rid of Robert Quinn puts Travis Gibson and Dominique Robinson on the field uh, more often because we're seeing a little too much Al Qadim Muhammad as far as his production on the field and Robert Quinn is just not bringing it this year. You know he's just not one sack in six games. Uh, you know, where, where at this point last year, he had at least four or five uh, on his on his way to a, a franchise record 18 and a half. So we need something uh, from him. So maybe getting rid of Quinn, give those younger guys more opportunity on the field. Maybe that helps. Maybe that gives us a spark uh, in the pass rush that seems to be so weak right now. I will say, yes, Quinn has been bad. He's also been in the top five in highest percentage of double teams on his pass rushes. I I'm think sure he is, yeah. Okay. Not having Khalil Mack on that other side has given him a lot more attention. He still he still needs to play better and is not winning enough of the one-on-ones he does get, but it has been, I think, a taller task than usual. And the, the, I'm, I'm concerned that if you trade Quinn, that also means more snaps for Al-Qadim Muhammad, which <laughs> I, I don't think we need more of. I agree. I agree. Um, but so, yeah, we're two and four. I think at best you and I were looking at three and three uh, at this point in the season, and by all rights, we should be. We should have won on Thursday. We played well enough to win the game as far as, like, you know, if, if we finish those drives, we easily win the game, where we win at least 21 to 12. Like, just go ahead and give them Valus Jones. They can have that one. We should have scored on all three of those drives. So 28 to 12. It should have been a game closer to that than what we actually got uh, on Thursday. We should be 3-3. Three and three. Uh, right now, perfect three and zero and home and zero and three on the road uh, going into these uh, you know these next six games. So we're only one game off from where I think you and I both thought they would be at this point. So it's not the end of the world. It's just that with the way we've been playing, when we talk again in six weeks, are we talking about a one and five stretch? Uh, you know, or are we two and four again? So we're four and eight going into the last five games. 
uh, of the season. I, I don't think that's where I had them pictured uh, when the schedule came out. I like how you said it. Like they're two and four, so it's not the end of the world. They're only one game off where we thought they were. But somehow it feels kind of so like that Washington game. It feels so like the end worse. of the world. Like yeah. that Commanders game was just pitiful, disgusting, embarrassing, shameful football. So like that. There's just no. It's, it's like there's no coming back from that. Like yeah. if you're gonna lose that game that way to that team, it really sucked so much of the life out of like, oh, maybe this team could not be a playoff contender, but just like. Maybe this team could surprise some people some weeks, and it's just after that, it's hard to look at anything, especially as I see that the Patriots beat the Browns 38-15, to 15 and Bailey Zappi lit it up, and they're going to come <laughs> host the Bears next week, and I think it's going to be ugly in primetime football again. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's um, yeah, I, 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 I'm not looking forward to it. I mean, I, I can't wait to watch my guys play again. I'm very interested to see the New England game just to see if the break has helped because God knows all four years under Nagy, we lost all, um, I think we lost every game coming off of a buy or a mini buy under Nagy, or we were like one in eight or one in seven or something mm-hmm. in, in eight opportunities under Nagy. We, we just weren't good when we had a break. I mean, I think that will, that will tell all the difference between Eberflus and Nagy is if we show up prepared because that was one of those things that was so glaring under Nagy was coming off the buy it looks like we got together as a team for the first time since the last game today. Like we didn't practice or anything like that. We just literally showed up at the stadium for the next game day and nobody knows what to do, or at least that's what it looks like when we took the field. Nagy was so bad at that, getting the team ready to come off after a break. Hopefully Eberblus runs a tighter ship and we at least look ready to go when we play New England next Monday. Or we'll be back to first half, can't figure anything else out, and second half, you make adjustments and make it close at the end, right? Like that's <laughs> Well, that would be par for the course, but yeah, I would prefer uh, the former rather than the latter. I would, yeah. I would like to see us hit the ground running uh, against New England, especially if Bailey Zappi is going to take Mac Jones' job and throw for 350 and four touchdowns uh, against us or something uh, like that. I would at least like the offense to you know, go back and forth with them for a bit and, and see how that goes. So at least no matter what happens with fields, you could feel a little bit better that if Mac Jones also ends up getting beat out long term by a what is Zappy, a seventh round pick, sixth round pick, whatever, like yeah, fourth okay, round, like, actually. Fourth, fourth round. round, okay. Yeah. So still like yeah, it's it's nice to see another first round quarterback maybe uh, having some trouble too. <laughs> All right, Lauren. Uh this was I don't know how much fun this was, but it was definitely interesting. Uh, it felt good to to get it out. Very therapeutic, very uh, you know cathartic and whatnot. But uh, hopefully, in six weeks, we're having a much more optimistic conversation. Maybe so much, not so much in terms of wins, but in terms of the team has looked a lot better. You know, it feels like you know Eberflus and Getze and and Williams have gotten their feet underneath them, and they really know what they want these guys to do. We know what we have and the talent that we have on the team, and they're using it to their best potential. It's just not translating into wins, but we look like a team making progress. I hope that's the conversation we're having in six weeks as opposed to, so how many games do you think Eberflus has left before he's on the hot seat? You know, because this is just not good at all. So Yeah, I, I think in the conversation will be, who do you think we should sign in for agency? And what are you thinking about this draft class coming up and, as we're in week 12 or whatever? Right. So uh, uh, I look forward to, to that conversation. And um, where can we keep up with you in the meantime? 
of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Cox Sports One. It's like Fox Sports One with a C, and we're bringing you five days a week on the Locked On Bears podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. By the way, kudos for doing the show on Friday, bro, uh, because <laughs> Thursday night after the game, uh, all I envisioned was a visit from the police if I recorded the episode on Thursday night after the game because I live in an apartment building, so I've got neighbors. I'm sure somebody would have called the cops for all the screaming that I would have been doing recording that show immediately after the game. So I give you credit. You 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 took your lumps. You 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 did the big boy thing, and you recorded the show after uh, the game. I just I couldn't do it. I absolutely could not do it. it so it. It took some some Justin Fields style breathing exercises. That's what I'll say. <laughs> well, kudos to you and Namaste. So uh, <laughs> thanks so much uh, for coming on. We'll we'll talk to you again in, in six weeks and see where we stand after that, man. Anytime, thanks. <laughs> this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by PointsBet. Guys, it's finally here. Sports Drink and PointsBet have partnered up to bring you the world's greatest BTU themed threads. For the Bears season. Just imagine the blue and orange confetti can cascading down from the rafters of State Farm Stadium while you're donning the greatest t-shirt known to man, a Bears Talk Underground t-shirt. And it's very simple. You got to go to sportsdrink.org slash shirts, fill out the quick Google form, register for your points bet account, and deposit at least $10. That's all it's going to cost you. You want to get your hands on this t-shirt. And then finally, you upload your proof of deposit uh, as well. Once you submit, our beautiful friends will have your shirt out the door and on the way to you. And once again, that is sportsdrink.org slash shirts. Once again, sportsdrink.org slash shirts. Guys, I'm in my 16th season doing this show. It's the first time I've had a shirt available for my podcast. I'm so proud to finally have one, and I want you to have it. So follow the steps and get yourself your very own Bear Stock Underground t-shirt today. And thank you to PointsBet for partnering up with Sports Drink. And thanks to PointsBet for sponsoring the podcast. <laughs> As always, have a, we, uh, we have a great time when Lauren uh, joins us. I want to thank him for uh, joining us, um, taking time out of his uh, non-Bear Sunday to uh, help us uh, do that and uh, get get some of that, uh, you know, vented out a little bit, get some of that off our chest and, and move on to the next six because it doesn't look like it's going to get any easier or any better <laughs> if the first six are any indication uh, of what we have uh, ahead of us. So um, well, be sure to follow him at Cox Sports One on Twitter, and uh, you can always download Locked on Bears uh, five days a week uh, during the regular season. So uh, be sure to follow him and listen to his stuff. He's doing a good job over there uh, on Locked On. So. Uh, anyway, guys, that is going to do it. Uh, you're going to want to listen to tomorrow's uh, review episode for the NFL, week number six, because um, as the afternoon games uh, you know, came to a close while Lauren and I were talking, I went back and looked, and I was 1-8 after the first nine games. That includes the Thursday night game. So the Thursday night game and then all eight uh, early games on Sunday – I was one and eight. The Bengals were the only team that saved me from going winless in the first nine games uh, of this particular uh, week. So, uh, yeah, it was not good. And and here I sit 
uh, after Sunday night football closes out. Um, I think I won four, three or three of four or four of five. One of t- one of the two. Uh, the Cardinals, of course, let me down once again. But uh, I I um I did much better in the afternoon. Obviously, the uh, curve is there's fewer games, but I, I won three out of four is what I did. Um, yeah, three out of four, and we got one more to go uh, tomorrow night, and I need the uh, I believe I need the Chargers to come through for me uh, tomorrow to make it like six and eight or something like that or whatever it's going to be. It's 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 another losing week, that's for sure. Uh, but I think that uh, if the if the Chargers win for me, uh, I'm still above 500 uh, comfortably. I think I had a seven. I was seven games above 500. I think I'll be down to like two or three after uh, the disaster that was this week. Got some work to do. It was a combination of bad picks and like five upsets in the early games. It was I was just I just got screwed by one game after another. Uh, so week six was a bloodbath as far as a win-loss record. So uh, come on back tomorrow and, and listen to me break down how I got these picks wrong or, or what happened on the field that, that made me wrong uh, more times than not uh, on Sunday. So uh, come on back for that tomorrow. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been Bears Talk Underground.